Father God, we thank you that you do come after us. God, I thank you that you are coming after us in this moment. God, that none of us are here by happenstance or habit. God, every single one of us is here in this room watching online because the God of the universe is relentlessly pursuing us, stirring us to encounter Jesus Christ who loves us right now in this moment, not a future version of us, but right now this version of us. God, you love us through Jesus and you wanted to make that so abundantly clear. You didn't just say it, you showed it through the life and also the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is no wall you won't kick down. There's no shadow you won't light up to reach us with your love. And God, I pray that as we are in this moment now, we wouldn't miss that. We wouldn't just think we're here by accident. We would know we're here by appointment that the God of the universe, uh, we don't understand it. It's an unthinkable, unimaginable grace, but the God of the universe wants to meet with us, change us, have relationship with us. God, thank you for bringing us here today for that reason. And God, I pray that you would do a mighty work by your spirit through your word and, and in the name and for the fame of Jesus Christ, your son. We pray that now. And everybody said, amen, amen. You can take a seat. Well, it is good to be together today, amen? It's good to be together and be reminded that God knows your name. He's pursuing you, and he has you here for a purpose. Every Sunday, you need to know this, as staff, as elders, as leaders in our church, every Sunday, we're praying that you would know this, that God is pursuing you, that, that his love has moved towards you. First of all, it's moved in you, and he wants it to move through you. That's when we say love moves, and, and perfect people move by the perfect love of Jesus. Every Sunday. Sunday, that's what's happening at Phoenix Bible Church. And I love that we've been in this series describing uh, Phoenix Bible Church to you. Many of you are, are new. Many of you watching online are, are new to the church or our church. And so I love that we've been able to introduce you to, to more of what we are about as a church, who we are, what we do, in particular, what our priorities are as a church. And, and that's what we've done over the last three weeks, the first two weeks. The first week, we, we talked about this beauty of diverse gospel community. That what we see in scripture is that we see all different ethnicities and personalities coming together for no other reason other than the, the glory and the honor and the fame of Jesus Christ. Remember that? We said that there's a thread that, that weaves us all together, all you guys, and how different you are and how you wouldn't join the same social club, but you're standing next to each other worshiping the same Jesus because he's reconciled you to himself and also to one another. We talked about the beauty of diverse gospel community. And that defines what we do at Phoenix Bible Church. That's when we do community groups. That's why I invite you to, to gather, but also scatter in groups and homes and, and love one another, people who aren't like you, but to love one another and serve one another. 
We talked about that in week one. Week two, we talked about this, this priority of, of the gathered gospel proclamation and praise. What we're doing right now, what we just got through doing through song, what we're doing as we open up God's word, that at Phoenix Bible Church, we believe that when God's people gather, something happens. That you can worship God anywhere. Yeah, you can pray to God anywhere. I, I know all those things. Like the veil has been removed. Those are powerful things. But there's something powerful where the Holy Spirit of God empowers God's people. In this moment, we sing together. We proclaim God's word together. We take communion together. We respond to God's word together. And we're compelled to do that every Sunday. And, and we believe that's a priority for us at Phoenix Bible Church in your life for our church. And today we're wrapping up this series with our third priority, the urgency of of gospel justice and mission. Today we're going to talk about primarily what do we do, like in this space, but also when we leave this space, what are you called to do? What do we believe that looks like specifically for us at Phoenix Bible Church? And so we're going to look at a passage. You can go to your Bible now. Grab uh, one if you have it nearby. Luke chapter 4 is where where we're going to be. You don't have a Bible, pull it up on your phone. We, we say it every week. Get God's word in front of you. The, the power is in his word, not mine. Uh, so get God's word in front of you. Luke chapter four. And we're gonna see this, this urgency of gospel justice and mission directly from Jesus himself. As you're getting there, we're kind of parachuting into Luke chapter four. So I wanna give you a bit of context. This is early in Jesus's ministry. All that's happened for Jesus so far is he's born, he's, he's lived a life, but in his public ministry, he's been baptized and he's been tempted by Satan in the desert. This is where we are. And he shows up into the synagogue and we're gonna see what happens. We're gonna see how, how justice and mission is woven in and through everything Jesus says about what he came to do. We're gonna see the power in that from even the Old Testament. So Luke chapter four, let's look at what it says together. Luke four, specifically verses 16 through 21, it says this. It says, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Notice Jesus goes to church. Jesus also believed in the power of gathered gospel proclamation and praise. This is what Jesus was used to doing. And he goes again on this day, and it says he stands up to read. Verse 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He's about to quote Isaiah 51, or 58 rather, and 61. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. So just stopping briefly, picture the moment. There's a scroll of the book of Isaiah, the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And he's handed that scroll of Isaiah, but it says he specifically finds the passage. This isn't just the reading of the day. Jesus has some intentionality with what he's about to read. He's starting his public ministry. He's reading this text, and he has a very specific purpose of why. Verse 18, he starts to read it. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. 
And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, we got to ask the question, why why are everyone's eyes in the synagogue fixed on Jesus? Why, why was that? So you got to picture the scene again. We're in the synagogue. You have Jewish people who knew the book of Isaiah. You had religious people, leaders who knew the book of Isaiah. They knew specifically this text that he's quoting. Why? Because it was one of these profound texts that proclaimed who the Messiah would be and what the Messiah would do. In fact, some scholars note that Isaiah is kind of like the fifth gospel. Because the book of Isaiah proclaims, you know, we read a lot about the book of Isaiah at Good Friday, Easter Sunday. The book of Isaiah proclaims, foretells Jesus and, and all that he is and all that he will do. And you got a whole room full of people who knew this passage. And Jesus doesn't just read the passage. Notice, he hands the scroll back to these people and he sits down. That's a sign of completion. And he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He's saying two things right there. He's saying all that stuff that I just read about the coming Messiah, what he's gonna do, his mission on the earth, all that stuff that I just read, that's me. That's like the message translation version, right? This is what the kids call a mic drop moment, okay? All these religious leaders, they, they know about this passage. Jesus reads the passage and sits down, sign of completion, and says, I'm him. And today, notice the urgency. Today, this has been fulfilled. Like, I'm here, this is me, and I'm about to usher this in. This is happening. So everybody's eyes are fixed on him. This is why everybody goes on to want to kill Jesus. He didn't just claim to be a good person. He claimed to be God. This is just one of those places. And in this place specifically, we get the beauty of seeing specifically what Jesus came to do, what the Messiah came to do. We get the thesis statement of his life as he begins his public ministry. And so I just want to, for a few moments, I want to break down. What do we see? There's five things that he says from this passage in Isaiah 58 and 61. There's five things Jesus says, this is what I'm coming to do. This is my mission. And I want to see how does his mission shape our mission. All right. We're going to look at those five things, break them down, and then we're going to invite somebody up to talk about practically what this looks like. So here's what that means. I got to do what I'm about to do in like 20 minutes. So y'all pray for me right now. Okay, here's these five things. You see them right in the text. Look at the text with me. I want you to see it with your own eyes. Here's what Jesus says he came to do as the Messiah. One, proclaim good news to the poor. Two, proclaim liberty to the captives. Three, recover sight to the blind. Four, set at liberty those who are oppressed. Five, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now we're going to talk about all these. That one, you're probably wondering, like, what does that mean? This is referencing the year of Jubilee, where every 50th year, slaves would be freed and debt would be canceled. That's the context of Isaiah's passage that Jesus is now quoting. And he's saying, hey, hey, this is the year of Jubilee. I'm canceling people's sin debt. 
Uh, freeing slaves, literally, but also spiritually, from their sin. These are the five things that Jesus says he came to do. Now, we see this idea of justice and mission woven throughout these verses. Do you see it? Now, I think it would be most helpful to, for you to see it this way as we define justice and mission. Here's two simple definitions. For justice, it's caring for the least. Caring for the least. For mission, it's reaching the lost. And I believe we see both of these in this text. Now, we're not going to give an exhaustive message on justice and an exhaustive message on mission. That's going to take more than 20 minutes. But what I would tell you is go back and listen. Last summer, we did an entire series on Jesus and justice where we did give an exhaustive attention to what justice really is biblically. So go back and listen to that. We'll reference some of those things here. But also mission. We just talked about this as well. The Great Commission series. We talked about making disciples of all nations, baptizing them, and teaching them to obey everything God has commanded. And we've talked about this, and this won't be fully exhaustive of those, but I do want to address it and see how, how both of these are connected in this passage. You see, some people will debate as they read this passage specifically, hey, is Jesus talking about physical things, literal things, or spiritual things? Like as he talks about proclaiming liberty to the captives, recovering sight to the blind, setting at liberty those who are, are, are oppressed. Is he talking about the effects of sin? And in this moment, he's saying, I'm going to proclaim and live out the gospel. I'm going to live, die, and resurrect. And and I'm going to save people. I'm going to free people from their oppression that sin causes. I'm going to help them be have sight and no longer be blinded by their sin. And so some scholars will, will say that that's exactly what he's talking about. There's nothing physical or little about this. And I think we have to address this one because people are talking about this a lot in our day, like social justice versus the gospel. And it seems like there's two different teams and nobody's winning. Anybody with me? So I think we have to address this because I, I think we do see, we see both in this passage. But it's not just in this passage. We see both in Jesus' life. Here's why I see it as both, and not just sin oppressing people, but actual things are oppressing people. And not just spiritually people need to be given liberty, but also physically and and literally, and and why I believe Jesus was about both. How do I know that? A couple reasons. We look at the context of Isaiah, the original passage that Jesus is quoting, Throughout Isaiah 58, 61, that whole context, God is rebuking the Israelites for not enacting physical, literal justice, for not caring literally for the oppressed people. That's the nature of the, the very text that Jesus is quoting. It's not just spiritually. It's not just talking about being captive by sin and being blinded by sin. Jesus is quoting a passage. He looked it up. He found it in the scroll that's talking about God rebuking the Israelites for not caring for the oppressed, not setting free the literal captive. So I believe that's the first reason. But I believe the other reason that you can see, and we all should see if we read the Gospels, is not just what Jesus says, but what he goes on to show. Just think about Jesus' ministry. How many times do you see Jesus forgive someone's sin? and release them from the blindness of their sin. I think about the paralytic. He drives everybody nuts because they, they bring this guy in. He's, he's paralyzed, and his friends, it kind of drives them nuts a little bit as well. They want his legs healed. What does Jesus say? Your sins are forgiven. 
Everybody's frustrated. This is what Jesus does, right? Frustrates everybody. Religious leaders, you can't forgive sin. Who, who do you think you are? His friends, I'm sure, are thinking like, thank you for forgiving sin, but can you heal his legs? <laughs> and so Jesus says, okay, I'm gonna do both. Right? He forgives sin, releases him of his spiritual blindness, but he also physically heals his legs, sets him free, literally, he can walk now. How many times do we see Jesus literally, physically give sight to the blind, miraculously heal people? They can't see, now they can see. How many times do we see Jesus confront people in their sin? Their eyes are veiled because of their sin and selfishness, and he confronts them in their sin. He proclaims the gospel to them, and he invites them to repent of their sin, be healed and forgiven of it. Read the Gospels. Listen, as we, in our day, as we debate like justice versus the Gospels, we debate like spiritual versus physical, as we debate that, can I just be honest with you? A lot of that is Christians with too much time on their hands, right? And here's the irony of all that. Everybody's so, we've divided us up into camps. The tangent's gonna be over in a moment. Just pause with me for a second. We've divided people up into camps and categories, liberal and conservative. A liberal, you you care about justice. Well, conservative, you care about gospel and repentance. And we have these sides that host conferences, that write books, that, that have keyboard warrior fights on social media. And the irony of that takes so much, it takes a lot of time to put on a conference. It takes a lot of time to write a book refuting the other side. It takes a lot of time to be on social media, fighting with other people about your side. And it takes a lot of time for that so that neither side actually does what they're passionately fighting for. Are you tracking with me? That the the only gospel preached the Bible, people, you don't have time to preach the Bible and preach the gospel. You're too busy on social media and Facebook. The, the people there, no, we got to set the captives free. It's all, it's all literal. We got to care for the oppressed, racial equality. We got to do all these things. We have to do, do, do. It's not word, it's, it's deed. How you got time for that? Like you got arthritis in your th- thumb. Because this is what you're doing. Because you're putting on a conference to tell the other side how they're wrong. How do people have time to actually do, proclaim the gospel, invite people to repentance? Call them out for their sin. Proclaim the wrath of God. And that if they don't repent of their sin, they are damned to an eternity in hell. But also, say everybody is made in the image of God, equal in his sight. And we should treat them fairly and rightly. But biblical justice goes further than that. We should treat them generously. We should care for the least, for the oppressed. We should actually Set them free. Proverbs 31, it's a command. Speak up for injustice. That we should do both. And the irony and the sadness for me in our culture today is that we have so many people on different sides fighting about which side is the best and which side is right that we have nobody actually doing what they're so passionately fighting for. Anybody with me? And so I love Jesus as he ushers in his ministry. He says, It's both. It's both. It's gospel. It's justice. 
Notice we see it. He, three times Jesus says proclaim. Proclaim the good news to the poor. Proclaim liberty. Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus was pro-gospel proclamation. Amen? We see it. He doesn't just heal people. He doesn't just go after the marginalized. He doesn't just set the captive free and, and cause the blind to see physically. He gathers people around him. He preaches the best sermon ever, ever, Matthew 5 through 7. He preaches. He uses words. He proclaims the gospel. He calls people to repentance. That's what Jesus does. But he doesn't just proclaim. He practices. And here's why that's important. Even those of us who sometimes fight for proclamation over practice, fight for word over deed, fight for gospel over justice, if that's you, you you need to hear me. You are thankful that Jesus proclaimed and practiced. As amazing as Jesus' life was, like all the sermons, everything he spoke up about, he claimed to be God on the way, the truth, and the life. As amazing as that was, you are thankful that Jesus didn't do just that. He didn't just say, he showed. He went to the cross. He gave his life. He rose again. Deed, backing up the word, showing the power of what he was saying. Aren't you thankful he did both? Now, our world needs both as well. I love uh, the book of James. Uh, we get kind of frustrated with the book of James because he talks about works and deeds and, and so much. But he also talks about faith and how they're intertwined, the same thing that Jesus is talking about. In James chapter 2, I, I sent some sarcasm from James. That's another reason why I like James. Because he's very blunt. He's very upfront, right? He talks about your tongue can light up a whole forest. And in James 2 specifically, he says, hey, those of you who say somebody's hungry and somebody has a lack of clothing and they're around you, and those of you who say, hey, go in peace, be warm and well fed, he says, what good is that? <laughs> and I would say, well, that, James, that's very kind of them to say. What do you mean, what good is that? James is a bottom line kind of guy. He says, you, you just say this, go warm and be well fed, but they don't experience this with your actions, what good is that? It's faith and works. It's gospel and justice. We see that throughout the New Testament. We see that through Jesus' life. We see that just in this passage. It's, It's proclamation and practice. It's justice and mission. That we are just like Jesus as a church, Phoenix Bible Church specifically. We are to care for the least, but also reach the lost. We are to use words. You know that quote that says, like, preach the gospel whenever necessary, use words? Right? Not true. (laughs) Right? It's always necessary to use words. Even when we're caring for the oppressed and, and doing all these deeds, even as Jesus did that, he also used words. That's why we have a Bible, 66 books, 40 plus authors, written over 1,500 years, three different continents, three different languages. Guess what? In words. That's why people for generations have spent time, energy, resources, even their lives to translate this Bible into different languages, into different words that people would understand. We need to use words. 
People need to know that they are destined for hell without Jesus, that their greatest need, as we look at the needs of the world, as we look at abortion, as we look at racism, as we look at the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed, as we look at people that are prejudiced against because of their race, class, or gender, those are all great needs. Hear me. Those are all great needs. There's a bigger need. It's that spiritually they're lost, dying, going to hell without Jesus. So as we seek to seek justice and care for the least and people's needs, one of the best ways we can do that is to tell them, hey, Jesus loves you. Hey, he created you. God is holy, and, and he created you, and you're beautiful, made in his image, but you're also broken by your sin. And so Jesus came to bridge the gap between you and him, and he lived, and he died, and he resurrected. And the only way for you to experience a relationship with him, a right relationship to be justified with him, is by repenting of your sin and giving your life to Jesus. And so we proclaim that full gospel, and we do it every Sunday. If you noticed, we do that every Sunday. Have you noticed? If you haven't, I'm not doing my job, right? And I do it every Sunday, one, because there's people who don't know Jesus and are dying and going to hell that show up in this room and watch online. And as much as I care about all their other needs in life, I, I want to help solve their greatest need. And so I'm going to preach the gospel every single Sunday, I love the way a guy named Tim Keller talks about it. He says, hey, one of the ways I share the gospel is I let people tell me who they think Jesus is. And if they give some like religious version of Jesus or, or judgmental version of Jesus or cultural version of Jesus, then I just tell them like, um, yeah, I don't believe in that Jesus either. And then he brings the real gospel from the Bible. And if you've been coming to Phoenix Bible Church for any length of time, that's like who we are. Right? The reason I became a pastor, the, the biggest reason why I planted Phoenix Bible Church, you need to know this if you're going to be a part of our church, is I want to take people, I have a passion for this, I want to take people with words and show them how their conception of Jesus through the culture, through their past experience, it may be a little off, and I want to take them to the Bible and show them the real Jesus. And I get really fired up about that, and we started a church because of that. Right? So we want to proclaim we want to proclaim the gospel. We want to participate in his mission to reconcile people to himself. But at Phoenix Bible Church, we also want to practice that same gospel. We don't want to just say, go in peace, be warm, and well fed. We want to give them a jacket and give them some food. As we do have a world that does have needs, we want to care for those needs. We want to care for the oppressed. We want to set captives free. We want to care for the least and those who are being treated as the least in our society. And so we care, listen to me, we care about racial harmony at Phoenix Bible Church. That shouldn't be controversial. Everybody take a deep breath, right? We care about, Jesus cared about that. The New Testament cared there's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free. The gospel brings everybody together as one. Amen? So when we don't see that happening, we stand up for that. We help serve and care for that. But not just that. When we see abortion, the murder of the unborn, the least of these, the most vulnerable in our society, the one that doesn't even have a voice yet, we also care for that. 
we also enact justice for that. I remember last year, the original founder of Planned Parenthood was denounced by their organization because of her racist background. And I remember thinking, go ahead, Planned Parenthood. Yeah, that's amazing. We cheer you on in that way. While simultaneously, we rebuke you, Planned Parenthood, for helping facilitate the killing of the unborn, the most vulnerable of our society. And that's what it looks like to pursue justice and mission. That's what it looks like not to fit aside, but to be a kingdom citizen, right? And some of you are thinking, Tim, you just rattled every box. You can't say, go ahead, Planned Parenthood, and cheer them on. When they're talking about racism and condemning that, yeah, I can, because we condemn that. But I can also rebuke them for the gravest injustice of killing an unborn child. You see how we do both? You see how it's a both and? You see how some of y'all should be frustrated with me right now? Listen, the church is not a pep rally confirming my bias or your bias. It, I, y'all can cheer sometimes, okay? I mean, it's okay to say amen. Okay, all right. <laughs> Tough crowd. I want you to cheer, we talk about the gospel. We talk about Jesus. I want you to cheer, raise a hand, hallelujah, amen. Get crazy with it. But sometimes I'm okay if you're uncomfortable. You know why? Because I'm uncomfortable too. Because gospel and justice, what Jesus came to do, you don't think these people in this synagogue are uncomfortable right now? The gospel and the justice of God, the mission of God, it should make us uncomfortable. It should convict us. It should explode our boxes. It should blow up our cultural categories so that we're left as a kingdom citizen fighting for what Jesus came to fight for, caring for the least and reaching the lost and doing both. Listen, we said the urgency of gospel justice and mission because there's urgency As I mentioned, people are dying and going to hell. Are you telling them about Jesus? Are you proclaiming the gospel to them? Are you telling them about your sin? Are you at the very least asking your neighbor, asking your family member, asking your friend, start here. Hey, who do you think Jesus was? And just hear them out. And as they start to talk about all the religious categories and the cultural Jesus I just take them through the gospel. Hey, Jesus lived, died, resurrected to reconcile you to God. It's only by his grace and invite them to come to church on Sunday and do that. But also as you see a brother in need, also as you see someone being treated as the least, also as you see someone who is oppressed, go out of your way to help them. Don't just treat them rightly, treat them generously because that's how God treated you that you would take a step urgently. Jesus said over and over, hey, the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is near. He said, today the scripture has been fulfilled. There's an urgency to this. Jesus says, today, we say later. We say after lunch. We say, hey, when I get some downtime. And Jesus says, no, today it's at hand. It's near. Go now, take a step, proclaim, practice the gospel justice and mission that he came to proclaim and practice. So 
I went over my 20 minutes. Knew that was going to happen. But we still have a few minutes to talk about what this practically looks like and how you can take an actionable step today. I, I know there's a lot of problems in our world. I know it's overwhelming. Tim, you just mentioned abortion, racism, sin. People are going to hell. Like, where do we start? We need to start somewhere. Here's where we're going to start today. I'm going to invite up Lauren Scharnweber, and she's going to talk about love fosters and how we are proclaiming and practicing the gospel of Jesus through love fosters. Would you guys clap for Lauren? Lauren, I'd love to hear from you. You've lived this out personally, then you're going to talk about the church, but you live this out personally. I'd love to hear what that looks like for you. Yeah, so uh, Travis and I, we, um, early on in our marriage, before dating even, we talked about doing foster care, and we had no idea what that would look like um, and how God would use that, but it was something in our mind, something we had been exposed to. We saw that there was a great need, and um, God put that on our heart. Well, when we were newly married, we um, were serving in, a, in, our, in the downtown Phoenix in a low-income neighborhood, and we were... Um, kind of hanging out with kids there. We, there ended up being a house that went for sale in the neighborhood. We moved into the neighborhood and just really felt um, strongly that the best way to connect with people is to be in community with them. So we spent um, about a year there. Well, we're still there, but we were there for a year before um, there were three kids in the neighborhood who needed a place to live. And really, pragmatically, it didn't make sense to take the kids. Travis is a doctor. He was in residency at the time. Um, and I was working full time, it just didn't really make sense to do, but we felt like, um, yeah, led to do. I wanted our, we, we say we had an Isaiah uh, 6, 8 moment, so I wanted to read that verse. It says, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. So I felt like, I mean, in that moment, um, God isn't speaking to Isaiah, God is just speaking and Isaiah is listening and he knows the heart of God and he's there and he responds and so we felt like, okay, we need to respond. And it didn't make sense, and we did it anyways, and we're so thankful we did. Um, but we ended up, uh, we had the kids about six months in, we became an official foster family, we got licensed, and uh, six years later, we still have them, and we've become the, they gave us permanent guardianship, um, so we still have three kids from that community, we still live in the community, and really, God has just wrecked us through that experience. I mean, I've never... <laughs> I mean, experience anything so hard. <laughs> Parenting is hard, but foster care has been really hard. Um, and at the same time, it's been the most rewarding thing that I would never trade for anything. Um, we've become closer in our marriage. Um, we've learned to be more patient. We've learned to trust God. Our prayer life has increased in incredible amounts. And even though it's been one of the hardest things and the least practical things we've ever done, um, yeah, we're just so thankful that we've done it and that we've been able to be a part of foster care. We still have our license open, but we don't have any other placements. We just had those three. Um, but we do still feel strongly that there's a need to serve in foster care. And so we've tried to be involved in other ways. So we have, I'm involved, really involved at Phoenix Christian's foster program there where my kids go to school. And our, we still have our license open so we can provide respite care to families. And we're involved in Love Fosters now. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, we have the privilege of walking with you guys in the same community group and seeing this in their real lives, seeing Travis and Lauren care for the least and pursue the lost and do both of those. I can't think of a better picture of foster care and adoption that you're showing the father heart of God that wants to reconcile people to himself based on no merit of their own. And you guys did that exactly. And like you said, you saw this need, you cared, but you also stepped in, you proclaim, you proclaim the gospel to these kids every single week. I hear you guys doing it. 
So I love seeing that in your personal life. Why don't you talk about as well what this looks like for our church? You mentioned Love Fosters and what that's looking like. Yeah, so as you've heard, Tim's heart, love moves, obviously, and I love that uh, PBC, we have Love Fosters, and so just a really practical way of supporting foster care. There are lots of different ideas. Um, we've already been able to, there's an agency that needed car seats. We are able to provide car seats um, through our church. Um, we have done the donation, our Easter donation. We gave over $15,000 to Ohana. 16. 16. It ended up being 16000 yeah. That's yeah. amazing, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. We, we did a Christmas gift drive where we were able to give Christmas gifts to foster kids. Just we're always we're trying to think of ways, more and more ways, and we're including other foster families um, as we come up with ideas for how to just best support foster families. So there's um, obviously if you are a foster family and we don't know about you, we want to connect with you. Uh, if you are at all interested in doing foster care, we want to be able to come around you and support you. Um, and then there's lots of other ways to be a part of it and to be plugged into Love Fosters, whether it's through your talent, your time, your money. There's so many different things that we can do. And we have lots of ideas, but we don't have time to explain them all now. So we have a yeah. meeting after church today, and we'd like to, if you have questions even for what foster care looks like or how you can best support Love Fosters, we'd love to talk to you. Yeah. So that means going to be in the library, right? Yes. Right after yes. service. So you guys, 20 minutes, something like that, 30 minutes? If you're interested at all in what it looks like to see gospel justice and mission work, it, work itself out in your life through our church, we'd love for you to stay. There's a whole team of people that have put this together, this initiative, specifically all these different things we're doing. The, the people that are mentoring, one cool thing to share is uh, Ohana, the organization we just gave 16 grand to. Uh, they said to us, basically, their, their mentoring efforts kind of were there, but they essentially have actually launched since we gave them 16 grand. And since we called you guys to sign up to mentor, and like 10 of you guys did that. And so you're, you're actively helping people see the, the justice and mission of God. And if you're not a part of that, we'd love for you to be a part of that. There's not just like all-in mentoring. There's not just giving money. There's ways, like Lauren said, we have families in our church. You could just stay for this meeting and see like, hey, how can I bring them a meal every once in a while, right? Like there's levels for all of us to be involved in this and to, to actually take a step. I think one of the things that happens for a lot of us is we get paralyzed by the great need and we think, I gotta solve all the world's problems. I can't solve my own. What do I do? I'm not staying for the Love Fosters meeting. That's too hard. And what I would say is just take one step, right? It's like working out. Like a lot of us think, well, I can't do cardio, lift weights, CrossFit, so I will do nothing and eat ice cream. <laughs> Confession. What if you just ran a lap around the, the block, right? What if you just stayed for the Love Fosters meeting? It's how can I bring somebody a meal? How can I pray? You guys could use some prayer. Our other foster families just in our church could use your prayer, prayer for their kids' salvation. And you just said, man, how powerful would that be? You said, hey, we're just gonna pray every week for your kids to come to know Jesus. How would that be? That'd be great. <laughs> That'd be awesome. So we'd encourage you to stay. It's in the library. Stay for a few minutes and see how you can be a part of God's gospel justice and mission. Let me pray for Lauren and Love Fosters. God, we do thank you that you care for the least and you pursue the lost. God, I pray that even just in this one small way with Love Fosters, that you would help people like Lauren, uh, people like Emily Beck and others who are leading the charge on this. God, remind them of how you have pursued them, how you have cared for them. And that's why we care for the vulnerable and the least and also pursue the lost. And God, I pray that you would remind all of us that today and remind us that, that we were once 
lost and least, but because of Jesus Christ, we are found, we are chosen, we're adopted in your family, we're loved. And God, that would lead us, not just to be content with that for us, but it would lead us to wanna see that happen for others. So God, move us into action by your grace, through your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.